everyone. Welcome back to Capitalize Your Fridays. My name is Michael Williams, and I'm the founder and president of Altius Financial. And I'm joined by associate and co-host Taylor McGowan, who's our senior wealth design specialist at Altius Financial. How are you doing today? Hey, everyone. Welcome back. So today we thought we'd talk about estate planning in general. Um, this is some, I guess it's maybe because I just got my own estate plan updated and I'm feeling kind of good about it, a little bit cocky and <laughs> want to share, share a little bit of the experience and the reasons why people should do estate planning, why, they, why it's important to make sure they're continually looking at that and updating it. Um, but before we get into the details of that, do you want to give our audience the uh, obligatory disclaimer? Yeah. So just a quick reminder, any discussion we have on our podcast is not meant to be direct advice. We are recommending you reach out to your financial team, tax team, estate planning team. And if you don't have a team like that, reach out directly to us. We're happy to help. Um, as you know, I, I don't have a JD behind my name, so I'm not actually an estate planning attorney, but a lot of what we do is integrated with that kind of information. So we can either refer those types of services and help with any needs you guys might have. So just quick reminder, not any direct advice, but we hope that this is helpful and useful for our listeners. If you do have any specific questions, feel free to reach out to either of, either of us at taylor at altiusfinancial.com or michael at altiusfinancial.com or free, feel free to check out our website for additional resources, www.altiusfinancial.com. Okay, sorry, that was long-winded. <laughs> oh, that's good. Got to make sure we're covering ourselves, that we're holding us legally liable or anything. Yeah, there's that concept called uh, the unauthorized practice of law, and we definitely don't practice law. We give financial planning information, and obviously that's connected to your legal documents and estate planning. So we work with estate planners. And um, so this show is more about just talking about estate planning in general and try to try to add some details, give a little education about it and encourage people to make sure that they're taking care of that, that business. Yeah, definitely. And so I, I think we kind of wanted to start off with, well, what is estate planning? I think um, if you'd asked me this while I was in high school or college, I think I would understand the word like a will, a trust, um, possibly even a power of attorney. But if someone said estate planning, I'd be like, what is that for people with big mansions, estates and a vineyard or something? I, I think just the, the word itself is, um, it's kind of confusing. <laughs> I like that the vision of a vineyard. Yeah, it's yeah I imagine like some vineyard. estate on a hill with a, these beautiful vines. Yeah. <laughs> No, estate planning is for everybody, right? And you're right that that is a fancy phrase for you know not only those documents, but the the plan that those documents are supposed to support. Um, and in a sense, everyone has an estate plan. Um, you know, it's a legal process uh, for what happens to you and your assets um, if you are gone or incapacitated. You can't make decisions for yourself, so. That's what, it, that's what it means. It's just that legal process. And as I mentioned, everyone has one because every state in the country basically has a default will or default process. If you haven't done a will and you don't have any kind of estate planning documents in place, then the, the state of Colorado in this case, or whatever state you live in, will have a plan for you. And it may not be exactly what you would want. And so that's why we encourage people to, to take a proactive approach and actually put one into place. 
Yeah, and so what Mike is talking about is um, kind of the probate process. So typically, if you don't have things lined up for you, if you haven't written out your will and had it notarized, if you don't have any kind of trust documentation, then most of your assets will then go through what is called probate. And so like Mike had said, that's basically the government saying, well, this person didn't plan what they want to have happen. So we'll take a best guess based on our regulations and our, our thoughts on who should get those assets. And so part of having this type of stuff, part of having a will, which is basically just um, your first line of defense, your, um, your final wishes written out, that's making sure that, hey, this is what I want to have happen and ensuring that it does, or at least ensuring that it's set up to go that way. I mean, you never, hopefully no one's contesting your will and <laughs> making things more complicated at that point. No, but that's, that's another reason to do it. Um, you, know, you hear famous cases, you know, some famous person died without a will, you know, like Michael Jackson was a, an example. He, they, they discovered a will later on, but initially they thought that he hadn't even had a will. And so then there was a scramble about, okay, what happens to his assets? You know, significant, significant assets in terms of his uh, music recordings and all of his productions, um, as well as lots of other assets that he had in terms of real estate. Um, but that, that happens with famous people. And sometimes people think, well, yeah, okay, that's, you know, that's a problem if you got uh, billions of dollars or a whole music library, but um, everyone should have, if they have any kind of care for their family or friends, or if they have any assets at all, they should take the time to say, here's what I want to have happen. Not only the assets, but also what would happen to you. You know, you, you might be incapacitated and can't make decisions. And so it's not just the probate process. It's also if you are incapacitated either temporarily or, or permanently, who's going to care for you? How, uh, how are decisions going to be made on your behalf and so forth? Yeah. Well, and that, that kind of means that you're going to have some tough conversations with people you care about. So maybe you're saying, hey, husband or wife or child, these are my plans. Like if I were to be incapacitated, I want you to pull the plug or I want you to keep me on forever. I mean, it, it does mean that you're going to have to do some hard work of thinking through what you want to have happen to your assets and what you want to have happen to you. And then you need to communicate that with people because the other step to all of this is once you do have things lined up, you need to make sure that it's actually enforced. But on a similar note, I mean, you just said, hey, you just updated your estate planning. I think it's important to note that just because maybe you wrote a will in your 20s that doesn't mean you're one and done. A lot of times you're kind of updating these as you have life changes. So maybe you get married and you want to update it. Maybe you get divorced and you need to update it. Maybe you had two additional kids after the first one. And so now you need to continue updating this um, legal documentation. Yeah, so it's that like it's the rest accurate. of your financial plan. Uh, you know, a financial plan isn't a, okay, make a plan out and put it on the shelf. It's, it's, it's something meant to be acted upon and continually uh, shaping based on, like you said, uh, changes in your life. And, and the same thing with, with the estate planning part of your financial plan is, you know, continually maintaining it and up, updating it for changes in your life or what's going on with the tax law. Yeah. And so kind of what I was saying is this isn't your first 
Will, I assume this isn't your first time updating things, right? No, I've had a number of them. This is something I learned a long time ago. Sometimes financial advisors don't take care of their own financial plans or estate plans. It's just like, you know, the, you've heard the classic story of a, uh, you know, the shoe cobbler whose kids are running around barefoot. You know, they, they take care of everyone else's feet, but they don't take care of their own family's feet. Um, but I learned early on in my career, uh, I was fortunate, fortunate enough to have a, a, a boss and trainer who um, made me be consistent with what I was telling clients to do. So whenever I was telling a client to do something, then uh, she would say, well, are you taking care of that for yourself? Whether it's, you know, savings goals or putting money in a 401k or you know, trying to, to save taxes or putting together an estate plan. So I had a will early on in my life and I've had that updated. And now I have uh, multiple versions of a trust document that I did a while ago and, and just, just recently uh, took the time to go through those processes. My children are older now. And so that's made a difference in terms of how I want uh, the, the process to go. Um, want to make sure update updating my um, personal representatives and executors and the instructions that I, gi I give to them and making sure that they're they're uh, still willing and able to serve in that capacity. So, so all kinds of things just to make sure that those are updated. And, and yeah, I have been probably so. I mean, you know, there have been times when I've waited uh, probably longer than I should have, but I've had at least five different uh, will slash trust estate planning uh, documents, sessions, or amendments um, in my life. And uh, so I'm, I'm hopefully up to speed now. I do need, I actually do need to take the next step that we recommend clients to do and, and sit down with uh, beneficiaries and, um, and other people who are named in the estate plan, whether it's a, a uh, power of attorney or a trustee or someone who has authority over medical treatment so I need to talk down, sit down and talk to those uh, people in my family about that, as well as uh, update my letter of instructions, which is another document that we recommend people do. And we can talk about that a little bit, but let's back up a little bit. What is, what does it mean? What does pro probate mean? Yeah. Well, so probate's kind of like the process. I mean, I, I kind of went into it before, but it's, it's like the government process of saying, hey, here is what's going to happen. If you don't have things already listed, here's what we believe is the next step for your, your life and your assets. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I, no, right. I took some classes on this in college, but I, <laughs> I, I feel I'm not an estate attorney, so I'm not a perfectionist at this. Um, yes, yeah, so we mentioned, uh, you know, it's it, estate planning is that process of taking care of, you know, things, assets, as well as um, instructions upon your death. Uh, as well as, you know, if you're incapacitated, probate specifically a, a process, a legal, like you said, the state's process, the legal process to say, okay, if a person passes away and they have assets, how do we make sure that there's uh, the proper distribution of those assets, the legal distribution, so that not anyone can just go, well, I'll, you know, there's a bank account here, I'm taking it. Or <laughs> yeah. here's a farm property that used to be owned by someone, but they're dead now, and so it's mine. Um, it's the legal process to actually have those distributions. And in Colorado, in most states, I think they've simplified it for smaller estates. Um, I think in Colorado, it's uh, under $50,000. So if you have an overall net worth, uh, including the proceeds from life insurance and so forth that are under 50000 and no real estate, um, then that's considered to be a small estate in Colorado. And then, and then the next bucket would be uncontested estates 
that are informally processed that a person can go through the process and file a paperwork and make it pretty easy, um, especially if they have a will and a, and a trust or a will and a properly executed estate plan. And then last, like you said, the, the, the bucket of, well, these are contested, you know, someone, somebody's saying, wait, this is my property, not this person's property or not, you know, I'm, I'm the proper heir to this heir or claimant upon this property. Yeah. Three sort of they fall into. Yeah. And so at least in the studies I had done over the last few years, a lot of times what this came down to was um, a lot of times pre-current law where everyone's okay with um, marriages that are not necessarily just between a boy and a girl. So a lot of times there would be families where there would be same-sex marriages and maybe someone in the family didn't agree with that. And so if you didn't have a will set up that said, no, 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 this is this is my significant other, regardless of the legal documents stating. So like, this is my person that I want to inherit everything. Oftentimes family members would contest the will or contest um, their estate planning and say, no, 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 that, that goes to me. And so a benefit of having this basically gives you a barrier to say, okay, this, this is how I want things to go. This is my spouse, or this is my child, regardless of whether they were birthed by me or an adoption. Um, it kind of helps solidify that this is the family you chose regardless of any kind of bloodlines because mm -hmm. probate will typically follow your bloodlines. Yeah. The, 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 since the state doesn't really know about you, uh, yeah. and you haven't got that legal document of a will, then they basically say, okay, well, if you have a spouse, then that spouse gets uh, some or all of your estate. And then if you have children and, and, and there's a, a formula that they use and it's, it's a rational one. If someone, you know, you, you, there's no other way to make a decision, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to reflect what each individual would want. Um, so that's, that's why it's important to do it rather than just have the default, whatever the state says. Yeah. And so basically, so what you want is everyone should have a will and I'm saying this and my will is outdated and I need to redo it, <laughs> but everyone should have a will that basically says, here's what I want to happen. Um, now an estate attorney is likely going to say, you should probably also have a trust. I'm not going to say everyone needs a trust, but I'd say if you have a complicated situation where you think that maybe it's a blended family and you want to make sure everything goes exactly as planned or, um, or if you have over a certain amount of assets, then a trust as well should be enforced. And yeah, there's, there's uh, but there are people who might say, well, wait a second, no, I, I, uh, my house is owned jointly with my spouse. So my spouse gets my house if I die. Um, yeah. Or I've named beneficiaries on all my accounts. So doesn't that bypass probate? Yeah, and so that's kind of the transfer on death process. So depending on how your assets are set up, in many situations, you can have them transfer smoothly and not have an issue and not even need a trust. Right now, the estate planning or the estate tax limit, I think is 11.5 million per person. So in most cases, people don't really have taxable estates given current regulation. Um, the problem is we don't know that five to 10 years down the road, that's not gonna get overruled. And so if you're, if you're getting close to maybe what the previous regulation amount was, which was closer to that 5 million point, then it might be beneficial just to say, hey, 
I don't want this to be taxed when it's passed forward. Yeah, that's one issue uh, for especially I'm glad you bring that up because, you know, right now, um, Biden administration is talking about uh, increasing taxes on incomes, on estates, on wealth uh, across the board. And um, so it's it's important for people who have sizable estates um, to watch that because it used to be or it is now, but uh, eleven five, like you said, eleven million five hundred or five hundred thousand per individual that can be passed estate tax free. Um, but that number looks like it might come down. I, I, I was t in preparation for talking about this. I was telling you that you know when I first started this business, it sort of dates me a little bit, but. The number was three hundred twenty-five thousand per person, a little over six thousand per couple, or six hundred thousand per couple that could be passed on. Um, and that, you know, obviously that was a number of years ago. And asset prices, real estate, farm property, or whatever person might have that gives them a higher net worth has increased in value over that time period. Either because it's really increased in value, or because of the inflationary effects that we've had over the last thirty years. Um, so that, but that number has gone up and, and now it looks like it's going to come down. It, that The 11.5 that's in the law sunsets anyway. Uh, so that's supposed to go away at 2026, but it looks like that might happen even sooner than that. And so most of the people I know who, most of the attorneys that I know who are in the estate planning business are preparing to do more tax funding in this regard because they expect to have a lower threshold as far as a taxable estate. Yeah. Well, and it's important to note that if, if you do have a taxable estate, I, at least the last I had checked, that's a 40% tax rate. So if, so if you're inheriting a hundred K and if that hundred K happened to be taxable, you really only get the 60 K of it. You're, you're getting a chunk. I mean, almost half of what, what that inheritance is, is going away. And the situation that you and I have talked about quite a bit recently is where they increase the state tax minimum amount or the amount that you could have that's not taxable. It's really impacted when people are inheriting things like businesses or family farms, because oftentimes you've got this, this asset that you've worked to build up as a family and you guys have been growing, but it's, it's a business. It's not something you want to just sell. So if all of a sudden someone dies and the family farm that has been in the family for hundreds of years is now a $2 million asset. Um, if that gets inherited, then you can't pay the, what is it? I guess, wait, 2 million. So well, again, 40, if it's 2 million, 400, 800 K of taxes that you would have on that if it was all taxable. Now, again, keep in mind that if it's two two million total estate, it's not taxable under current law, and it, you know you'd have to have the threshold come down a lot yeah. uh, for it to be taxable. But there, are, that is, like you said, the the reason why Congress changed that was the mainly the liquidity issue of of a small business or farm property. There were too many cases where people were having to lose the family farm, even though it was worth more than the estate threshold. They didn't have the ability, the cash, to pay the taxes. Yeah. So it's a, 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 a you know vicious cycle of people saying, "Well, okay, I've got this value in my estate, but the only way I can pay the estate taxes is get to get rid of the farm property or the business, and that usually means it's a, a fire sale type of thing where, because you have to pay the taxes within nine months of the estate settlement, that means all of a sudden now you've got to sell an asset for maybe less than it's really worth." Um, Classic example is that you're you're too young to remember this one, but uh, 
the the owner of the Miami Dolphins, the Robbie family, uh, it, that that stadium in Miami that the Dolphins play at used to be called Joe Robbie Stadium, and it's because Joe Robbie founded the, the Dolphins, but they they didn't have adequate state estate planning in place and they had to sell both the stadium and the dolphins, the professional football team at a fire sale value for much less than that, that uh, franchise was worth because they didn't have the liquidity to pay the taxes. Um, now, again, we're talking about um, sizable estates, wealthy people. Um, but it's amazing how that can creep down, especially if they change the rules into people that, uh, that are, that feel like they're more normal everyday, you know, middle-class people. Um, the threshold is likely to drop. And, and again, it's not just the wealthy people who need to do this kind of estate planning. Uh, it may be that we're not, if you don't have that kind of net worth estate, you don't have the concern about paying taxes, but that doesn't mean you don't have the concern about, okay, will this asset uh, be distributed properly to my heirs? Um, you know, who do I want to have the house or how do I want that? You know, should the house be sold to split between my children or whatever it might be? There needs to be clarity with regard to what you want for your heirs and, and the whatever, whatever assets and wealth you have accumulated or produced. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I guess what I, where I was starting it off with, and yeah, you're completely right. If, if it was all the way back to like a $2 million situation, that's not a taxable estate in current in current tax law and in current estate law. What I was trying to say is for people who are listening to this and saying, oh, well, $11 million doesn't impact me. Why don't they get rid of it anyways? Like everyone can pay 40%, it doesn't matter. For the people who are looking at it from that perspective, I kind of wanted to say, the reason this started is for people who are maybe small or large business owners, this can make you lose your entire business like you'd said with the dolphins. And so it is helpful to say, either, and I guess this is maybe showing a little more politics than necessary, but either why are we paying 40% on something we already paid tax on, or we need to really increase this so we aren't affecting people who want to grow businesses and um, and want to have the opportunity. Unless you rub it off you a little, uh, on you a little bit. Uh, <laughs> that's a different story, right? Obviously, um, I don't think there should be any, I, maybe it's not obvious, but I, I don't think there should be any estate tax. I agree with you that that's sort of a double taxation thing. Yeah. The issue of taxes and whether it's an income tax or a flat tax or a progressive income tax or a state tax, all the different kinds of taxes that we pay, that's a different topic for a different day. <laughs> we could definitely go down the political uh, rat hole. I, I, I do think it's uh, concerning that um, you know, Biden promised to be uh, governing uh, from the standpoint of unity and, and you know, moderate, moderate, not extremely left or right, but he, he does seem to have a pretty, pretty aggressive agenda uh, with regard to tax policy and other, other issues. And we're just wanting to warn our clients about that potential change as far as that goes. Yeah. Well, and I, I think we had talked about, well, what does estate planning look like for people in different generations or different income brackets? And so for, I think, I think a lot of people who would say, oh, I'm, I'm more middle-class, this doesn't really apply to me. I think looking at current real estate prices and seeing experiences through clients who bought real estate maybe like 50 years ago and have now seen that appreciate quite a bit, I think this could likely become an issue that'll be much more um, middle-class focused. I think if you buy a house and you're looking at the current pricing, you may see that, okay, 
my home or my small business could push me into needing further planning. And so we want to make sure that everyone from looking at your 20s to being in your 80s, everyone across the board is looking at, okay, what is the best estate planning techniques for me? I agree. Yeah. The, the, the other thing that sometimes people get confused on are the terms that we use in finance and, and planning, you know, your overall estate isn't exactly the same as your net worth, right? And sometimes, yeah. often it's amazing to me how many people who are relatively sophisticated don't know the difference between those two ideas or even when we ask them, okay, what's a ballpark of what your net worth is? And there's a lot of people out there who have accumulated a sizable net worth and they're not even aware of it. They don't know how to necessarily categorize and say, okay, what really is a net worth? And it, just to be clear, and you know, your net worth is the the, the value of all your finance, all your assets, financial or otherwise, real estate or whatever it might be, and then subtracting off uh, any debts that you have, and and that's the net worth part of the calculation. Now, there are sometimes at death, parts of your net worth may not be included in your estate, or things that add to your estate that would have not been in your net worth. For example, a lot of people don't realize that life insurance proceeds do actually add to the estate for tax for estate tax purposes and for this, the size of your estate. Now in the, this is where it gets a little complicated, but a proceeds from a life insurance policy are not income taxable. So they don't get added to your income, but they are added to your estate. So they could increase your estate taxes without uh, affecting your income taxes. Um, Another example on the flip side is many of our clients based on the need for uh, saving for college have 529 plans. Section 529 plan is a specialized kind of IRA like vehicle. Not, it's not an IRA, but it's a, it's a specialized vehicle for getting tax benefits and saving for college. Those actually aren't in, in a person's in a state. They, they are still controlled by the primary participant, the person who sets them up. And they are, in a sense, part of their net worth because that if you have that kind of control, um, you could you would put them in your estate or your, your in your uh, net worth, but they don't get added to the estate, which is a, a unique feature of a five twenty nine plan. Yeah, and so part of looking at your overall picture and your overall estate plan is saying, okay, well, what should be in my estate? What should not be in my estate? How can I kind of minimize that going forward? while still yeah. maximizing my assets. Yeah, that's, you know, for, for tax purposes, for estate tax purposes, people want to have a smaller estate. And, and you know, if you're, if you're wanting to actually accurately say, here's what you've accumulated in the way of wealth and you want to have a higher net worth, um, and there's different ways of doing valuations. Obviously, the stock market, if it's a publicly traded stock, you can kind of say, okay, this is what the value of the stock is on a particular day. And usually you can come in uh, with a, piece of real estate, you can do that as well, especially now with Redfin and Zillow and all the different uh, services that are out there that give us market information about real estate, even though they're not liquid. Um, but a business or even unique uh, real estate property can be more difficult to say, let's put a price on this or put a valuation on it for purposes of net worth or uh, the overall estate value. Yeah. Well, in a, in a similar note, the real estate, I believe it depends on how you own it. So I think you can own it if you own it with an entity that you're not the sole owner, I think you can work on kind of, can't you get that kind of out of your estate as well? Well, you, you, there's ways you can get um, assets out of your estate. The, the main way you get an asset out of your estate is to give it away. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. And that's one technique. There, there are certainly people who are in gifting mode where they're reducing the size of their estate and helping their, their family or potentially charitable causes by giving money systematically over the course of their lifetimes. There's now a $15,000 per person uh, gift that you can give away without it counting toward your, your overall uh, estate exclusion. So a person can give 15,000 per year per person in terms of reducing the size of their estate. But you can also gift assets into various kinds of vehicles like a trust that might remove something from your estate and no longer is going to be calculated as part of that overall estate, but it has certain rules. Um, you know, so we talk about a will, a will is the, the basic document for estate planning that says, okay, here's what I want to have happen. A trust is a different document that has to have, it's like a box, a legal box that has to have stuff in it, um, meaning that it has to be funded those assets have to go into the trust or change ownership from yourself or maybe from you and your spouse to now owned by the trust. Um, you may have control as a trustee over the trust, but you no longer own the trial. You no longer own that asset. The trust owns that asset. Um, and it's a way for, uh, to treat assets differently based upon the instructions that the trust have. And there's all kinds of specialized trusts that actually are for the particular purpose of, of reducing the exposure to estate taxes. So then aside from looking at, okay, how are my assets owned and how are my assets transferred, jumping back to what you said initially about, okay, well, what happens to me? What happens to my life? That's where you're also looking at, okay, well, do I have any kind of power attorneys? Do I have a medical power of attorney? So what happens if I were to get sick or what happens if I'm not mentally all there. Is someone there to look after my financial assets? Is someone there to make sure my health is accounted for the way I want it to be? And so those or, are also- Or is there someone there who, who can take care of my minor children, you know, who, can, yeah. who can be a custodian and or a guardian? The custodian is typically the person who's in charge of any financial resources. And then the guardian actually makes non-financial decisions on the part of care for children. But that's, that's important as well. I mean, being able to name- people who are going to make decisions for you, for your children, for you, if you're no longer alive or if you're, if you're no longer able to make those decisions. You mentioned the, you know, like a medical power of attorney. Um, that's, a, that's a crucial document that virtually everyone should have um, that makes it clear what your wishes are um, in terms of sustaining your life or treatment if you can't make those decisions yourself. Yeah. Well, so let's kind of transition into that, okay, maybe you guys are listening and hopefully your answer to, okay, do I really need this is, yeah, everyone needs some type of, some type of estate planning, but maybe let's look at categorically, like, okay, who needs what? So I think we both said everyone needs some kind of a medical power of attorney. So if something happens to you and you have a medical situation, hopefully you've got someone in line that's going to look after you and make sure you're your needs are represented and hopefully you've already conveyed those to that person. Um, similarly, looking across the board blanket of, okay, high net worth, early starters, everyone probably needs a will of some type. Just the ideal situation would be to go get it done with an estate planner or some kind of estate attorney to make it, make it official, um, but at a minimum, go into your house and write it down on pen and paper and maybe try to get it notarized or at least try to have something written 
for your wishes as a starting point. Um, and this is where Mike can kind of make fun of me because I wrote an estate, an estate plan or I wrote my entire will back when I did a state class, but I haven't updated it since then. So I, I do certainly need make fun of I mean, that, that's more than, you know, you know what's amazing is uh, I think at least 50% of American citizens over the age of 25, this is a stat I heard recently, um, at least, I think it's over 50% don't have any kind of will whatsoever. So the fact that you had one, even if it was holographic or handwritten uh, before you even graduated from college, I think is a good thing. Now, part of that's because of your field of study and the interest that you had in overall financial planning um, and you got exposure to that. But I think, you know, I think it's good. If, I, I'm not against a D, you know, the do-it-yourself type thing, uh, D DIY, right? The, the yeah, DIY. <laughs> I, I do believe that it's, you know, you often get what you pay for. And if you're trying to get away from paying an attorney or a financial planner or an estate planner or something like that, um, maybe you're not getting the best advice if you're taking your own. Yeah. Um, so it, it does depend on how, uh, how comfortable you feel understanding some of those legal concepts um, and how sophisticated your estate is. I mean, I, I've been uh, you know, in the financial planning business for over three decades. And so I've seen lots of, I have lots of experience with clients, including their taxes or their estate plans. And so I'm, I consider myself pretty knowledgeable about this area, but I still hired a, 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 a very competent estate planning attorney to actually drop my documents uh, with obviously my direction, my consultation, my saying, here's what I want, here's what it needs to accomplish. But making sure that it does does do that, um, I do count on an attorney. And so, I mean, I have no problem with someone doing it, a handwritten will or doing legal Zoom or something, some other service like that. And we've, we've been approached about doing our own sort of uh, estate planning service, not that we would practice law and not that we would prepare the actual legal documents, but, but uh, have it more integrated into our practice. And, but you know, the bottom line is that people need to make sure that they're uh, not ignoring and procrastinating on this issue. The, the biggest issue is that people procrastinate because it's a difficult topic. You know, yeah. I don't want to think about myself being sick or ill or not being here anymore. So if I don't think about it, then I don't have to deal with it. And the same yeah. thing with children. I mean, a lot of times, maybe the our client or the person wanting to do the estate plan is comfortable confronting their own mortality and, and some of the issues that come along with estate planning, but they their kids don't want to hear about it. Even their adult children are like, ah, I don't even want to think about you not, not being here anymore. So we'll just avoid that topic. We'll talk about it later, right? Procrastination yeah. is the biggest, biggest problem people have. And, you know, there's just no telling when when our time is going to be up or what might happen. So that procrastination can really hurt the ones we love in terms of, you know, the kind of inheritance they might receive taxes they might have to pay or just the emotional strife of, you know, what would, what would be the right thing to do in this case? Okay. Yeah. It's not there. There's no instructions. Well, and that's, you said what kind of inheritance they might receive. I think that's also a helpful thing to note is, if you are looking at, okay, how do I, like, what is, and this is probably taking it way too far down the, down the rabbit hole, but if you look at your assets as, okay, here I have all these different buckets, it's also helpful to look at, okay, what is the taxability of those buckets when they are inheritable? Because maybe 
depending on your tax bracket versus your beneficiary's tax bracket, it may be more beneficial to use a certain type of asset first as part of your retirement strategy to then also preserve your estate planning strategy. Absolutely. And that's, that is the, you know, the overall objective of financial planning is to have your financial resources serve you. Um, and that may serving you may mean serving the next generation. Um, but being conscious about what do I want to have these assets or this wealth do either in support of my retirement lifestyle or my, uh, my goals while I'm alive or in support of, again, the causes that I care about, uh, in terms of charitable or philanthropic intentions, or certainly the family, uh, and a legacy of, uh, values that I want to leave for my children, grandchildren. Yeah. So staying on track. So first we said across the board, everyone needs power of attorney set up medical and possibly financial as well. Everyone needs a will. So whether you're, you get what you pay for. So if you're going to pay a bunch, that's great. You'll probably get something more well-written. If you're maybe in your twenties, legal zoom, check your insurance benefits through your employer. You can probably get something set up likely pretty cheaply, but still efficient. Next, we're looking at trust type stuff. So that's for more your middle to upper net worth type people. So if, if you're thinking, hey, I, I am either quickly growing my net worth or I am maybe growing a business, um, I already have a, amassed a decent amount of wealth, trusts are a great opportunity for looking at, okay, how do I protect and preserve this capital for future generations? And how do I pass it on the way that I want to? We talked a little bit about beneficiary designations. That's something similar to the initial stuff. Everyone should have their beneficiary designations figured out. So um, whether you're 15 and just started your McDonald's job and you're, and they said, hey, you get a 401k, figure out what your beneficiaries are for that. Now, if you're I don't know, 40, you're signing up your will or, or signing up your trust type account, similar situation. You need to know who your beneficiaries are and how do you want that aligned? So that across the board, any kind of asset that you have, see how it will transfer on death and how it is set up for a beneficiary. And if that needs to be written in your will or a trust or how, how to protect those types of assets. Um, specialized trust type accounts. So like a we talked about, um, in my studies, we learned about like crit, crat, crut, which those are basically just charitable type accounts, um, foundations, donor advised funds. Those are the types of things where if you're finding yourself in a taxable state situation and you're charitably inclined and looking to maybe do some donation type strategy, that's the type of stuff you should start looking into and consider, hey, is this, is this the next step for me? So for the maybe higher net worth, people looking to have a more efficient and charitably inclined estate, look at those types of funds and accounts. What else, Mike? Is there any anything I missed? Well, you rattled off a number of the acronyms, the the crits, crats, and uh, grats, and all those kinds of things. Those are acronyms for various names of trusts. But again, those are specialized in terms of being able to save, uh, oftentimes uh, save estate taxes. Or, or to benefit a charitable uh, interest. Um, mm -hmm. 
one thing to be clear on is that there's two different kinds of trusts, um, a revocable trust or an irrevocable trust. And most people who set up a living trust as a part of their overall estate plan are setting up a revocable trust, meaning that they can change their mind, they can pull, pull assets out, they have control over it as the grantor of the trust. There's basically three roles in a trust document. Um, there, there's a person who's creating the trust, the grantor or the creator of the trust. There's the trustee, the person who actually carries out after it's created, carries out the instructions of the trust. And then there's a beneficiary who, who the ultimate, the assets are supposed to benefit. And usually in that initial estate planning step of someone saying, okay, I got a will, I've got powers of attorney and so forth, and now I need a trust. They serve in all three of those roles. They're creating the trust. They are making themselves, maybe their spouse as well, uh, the, the primary trustee and then naming successor trusts if they're trustees, if they uh, if something happens to them uh, and then naming the beneficiary and usually they're the beneficiary as well. You know, and that's the case. That's in my case. I, you know, I have a living trust. I'm the, the person who created it. I'm the trustee. I'm the sole trustee on my trust initially. Um, and I'm also the beneficiary so that it, that it can serve my needs during my retirement, but it also has named successor trustees. Uh, if something happens to me, then someone else is in charge and potentially even successor beneficiaries. If something happens to my initial beneficiaries, uh, you know, if something happens to me, so then there's new beneficiaries, my children, and even potentially their children or other, other beneficiaries, if, if something happens to them, um, so that's how a living trust works, a revocable living trust. And then irrevocable means you can't change your mind. And that's what gets it out of your estate. That's what really removes it from your estate. And typically that irrevocable trust is something that's created within the instructions in the first place uh, to make sure that you have that kind of savings, that tax savings. Those all get kind of complicated. Um, but if a person realizes, okay, it's just a, uh, it's a legal box that needs to have assets in it, then a set of instructions, then usually you can kind of keep it clear. Yeah. You know, I mentioned, uh, I mentioned our, uh, it's not formally a document, a legal document, but we, I have for a long time pushed what we call a letter of instructions and we provide a checklist for our clients to write this. And all it is, is a, uh, a letter in your own language to your beneficiaries or to your, to your trustees or to your uh, uh, personal representatives, anybody who has potentially a role in your estate plan that says, okay, here in my own language are some instructions about what to do. Uh, here's what I want to do be done in terms of a funeral or final, final ceremonies. Here's what I want to be done as far as uh, any kind of uh, preparations like that. Um, here's who to contact, whether it's a financial advisor, attorney, uh, doctor potentially, um, here are the people who are my professional advisors and they should be contacted. And here are my friends and family who should be notified. Maybe, maybe I have family in another part of the country who wouldn't, uh, know about my death. Um, but here's their contact information and, and you can go ahead and get a hold. I'd want you to get, get a hold of these people and let them know about it. here's where to find things. You know, here's the safe that I have and here's the combination or here's how to find the combination. Um, here's the real estate records that I have. So it's, it's a fairly comprehensive non-legal document that puts it in non-legal language, um, what some instructions are for, for the people who you care about the most. Yeah. Well, and another thing to make sure you have noted is if you have a specified 
um, final burial place because I found that at least in my family, it seems like, I don't know, everyone wants to be buried in some foreign country. Right. <laughs> so my, my step-grandma passed about a year ago and some change. And so she was originally, she's English. And so her final wishes is basically to take her body back and bring her remains to London. And so my Does that family- mean she had a plot? She had a plot in London that she had purchased or, or she wanted you to find one, the family to find one and-, and No, was so I, a, I think they want her to have her ashes scattered and I don't know the specific area, but I think it's like in her hometown or where she was raised. And so they basically need to bring her ashes in a box across the ocean and have a family ceremony and have them dispersed somewhere in that area. And so then my stepdad was joking the other day and saying, well, I loved living in Scotland. Maybe like do a double. And like, if I go before you, then just bring us both, make a trip to London, take a stop in Scotland. And <laughs> so they were kind of joking, but I, but I think in all seriousness, I mean, you want to represent someone's final wishes. And so if, if something like that is your, your passion and, um, I mean, make sure people are aware, like, Hey, I <laughs> maybe even offer to, to save some money aside for like an airline ticket or something. If, if you're saying, Hey, you, you got to go to Zimbabwe or something. Um, I think it's helpful for people to be aware that oftentimes well, that's more, and more common where, where people are getting cremated and they have some portion of the remains or the ashes, uh, placed or buried or uh, um, disposed of in various parts of the world, maybe not all in the same place. Um, yeah. Something that people should be aware of is it's not always legal to spread ashes somewhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, that, that's, that can be an, uh, an act of uh, uh, criminality if you're just taking someone's remains and spreading them, for example, in a uh, state or federal park that, that can be you, know, you can contact the park service and so forth and ask them because they just sometimes do have certain areas that they say, you know, that's okay to do, uh, but it's worthwhile making sure the person knows, okay, this is what their wishes were, but you know, am I going to get in trouble for doing it? Yeah. I, I, I think it's helpful that you brought that up because I do think oftentimes it is illegal. Um, most family friends that I've heard, like I know people who they had to fly the body to or fly the ashes to like Aspen and I don't think Aspen wants you dumping ashes in their river, but I know a few people who have, um, like they grew up fishing there. And so that's where they wanted their ashes left. Yeah, there's, so. there's, there's lots of laws on the books that uh, talk about that. And then, then there's the issue of, you know, what's the likelihood that I'm going to uh, really, you know, be obvious about this and disturb somebody or, or cause a problem. But, but people should be aware of that issue. They can't just spread their ashes or remains anywhere. Yeah. Um, so when someone's formulating that plan, they should be aware of that too. They should you know, make sure they're not putting an undue burden uh, of expectation on the family to, like you said, fly to Zimbabwe or wherever it might be to, to dispose of my ashes. Yeah, definitely. So Taylor, what, you know, we're, now that we're talking about uh, this being an integral part of people's plan and we're giving me the credit for having uh, updated mine recently and, and uh, slapping you around for not uh, doing it since... <laughs> <laughs> since you're handwritten one and saying you should get up to speed on it. Uh, yeah. What, what should people do? What, what's, the, what's the next steps in your mind of what a person should do? They have this 
they sort of have this little outline from what we've talked about. Here's what estate planning is about and here are the different legal documents and processes. Uh, but what should someone do? Yeah, well, so, I mean, I kind of said that the list of things that everyone needs, so like a will, um, power of attorney, beneficiary designations, trust if you're in a, in a situation where that would be beneficial for you, look at your charitable donations and maybe try to get a specific trust for that kind of stuff. Um, but definitely review this. So like, for instance, I'm getting married soon. So while Mike can say, ah, oh, we can slap you on the wrist. You didn't, you didn't get your, your will prepared very recently. I'm not going to do it between now and the next five months because I'm going to get married and I'll have to redo it anyways. <laughs> so so what my, would happen though? What would happen if something happened to you in the next you know, week or two? What would happen to your, to your wealth, your estate, your net worth? What would happen to it? Yeah. So I have already reviewed all of my beneficiary designations. So almost everything I own, I think the only thing I own that wouldn't transfer easily is probably like my personal stuff, so like my clothes. Um, and then my car, I don't know that anyone's really on my car other than me, but everything else would, I have what's called TOD. So transfer on death. So all of my retirement or investment type assets all either have a joint beneficiary. So currently my fiance would automatically get all of that or, um, or it's listed as a beneficiary. And then basically that person gets those assets. Yeah, and I think that's important for people who who are wondering about first steps. Well, first steps are, you know, how is my asset owned right now? How are these assets owned right now? And do the, is there an easy way? In fact, sometimes these TOD or transfer on death or PO, you know, the uh, payable upon death type designations, beneficiary designations, yeah. Uh, certainly when people do IRAs and 401ks, they should. Now, not everyone does, but they certainly should be naming at least one and potentially contingent uh, beneficiaries. And that's a that goes a long ways towards saying, okay, at least there's some clarity there uh, right now. Um, yeah. So a person, you know, sometimes those are, those are all called, you know, like a poor man's will, someone who doesn't want to pay for a will, but they at least have taken care of naming beneficiaries on assets. And a lot of that can be accomplished. You mentioned like personal assets, like your car or your clothing or, you know, uh, your cooking equipment or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, uh, those, a person typically is going to use uh, a, what they call a personal property uh, memorandum or addendum to a will that names things and says, okay, you know, here's who I want my car to go to, or here's what I, who I want my, my, uh, you know, high-tech blender or, or <laughs> a KitchenAid mixer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To go to, um, yeah, you know, and, and I, those are things that people sometimes take forever and, and procrastinate on too, is saying, okay, well, who would I want this, this personal property to go to? And normally if it's, it's, if it's something of a high value, people think about it. If I've got some jewelry or, or some kind of collection or whatever it might be, some art or something that then it's easier to say, well, this is who I want this to go to, but that's, that's an important part of it as well. Yeah. And so that'll kind of be my next step is I think I'll start listing out what um, what my larger, more important assets. So like engagement ring, family, heirloom jewelry, that kind of stuff, car. I would want to have that listed out and say, okay, well, this goes to, um, and I guess the case would be just Dave and then one day kids, whatnot. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you want to have secondary beneficiaries as well. 
Um, so then the next step would be, yeah, make sure you have those powers of attorney, all of that lined up. You do want to make sure you have some kind of a notary. So all of these documents are going to likely need to be notarized just to make them official. And so maybe that's you going to the bank, maybe that's using a notary through your um, estate planning preparation people. Um, yeah, most attorneys who do this kind of work, uh, they are themselves or certainly have someone on staff to to officially notarize the documents. In fact, most of the time they'll give you, once notarized and executed, then they'll be giving you copies of those documents to say, okay, here's your copy, but we might keep the originals in our office. You can definitely have the originals if you want, but they'll encourage you to give uh, copies of the documents to anyone who has a role, um, uh, not necessarily minor beneficiaries. You wouldn't give a copy of your will or, or trust to someone who's you know, eight years old. But if they're, if they're someone who has a role in terms of as a trustee, or if they're going to be the personal representative and uh, otherwise known as an executor or someone who actually is, their job is to take, you know, to make sure that the, all the wishes in the will are, are taken care of, um, those people should know about it. They should know that they're named in those documents and, and you should discuss it and make sure they're comfortable with that role. Because it can be, certainly being a personal representative can be uh, a fairly arduous task. There, there can be things that uh, have to be done and uh, take uh, that are time consuming. If you've got um, you know, lots of different assets, it can be time consuming to put all that together and make sure that heirs uh, receive what they're, they're supposed to, so. Yeah. Well, and then I, I would say your last step would probably be to, and you don't necessarily have to, but speaking as a financial advisor, I would say you should hire a financial advisor just to make sure everything else is integrated. Make sure someone's double checking and saying, hey, did you talk to your kids? And did you make sure that you've got your beneficiaries lined up? Um, I would say that's the first step though. That's true. That's the last <laughs> step. I mean, the, the thing is that usually people get motiv more motivated to do estate planning when they see it as an integral part of an overall financial plan. I mean, the thing that makes people procrastinate is that, you know, it's not a very, it's emotional and it's not a very pleasant topic to think, oh, well, I, you know, what happens when I die? But if you're doing it in the context of saying, okay, no, what if I live and what do I want to be kind of uh, a document in place to give, give me peace of mind in case, uh, if you're doing it in the context of, okay, here's all the goals that I have and here's how I want to live my life, it, it's, it's more motivational to say, okay, this is just a piece of it. It's a piece of the overall plan. So I'd say the first step is to hire a financial advisor and make sure that they're reviewing whatever estate plan you have in place or helping you strategize on the, the actual creation of a estate plan. And, and that's something that we do for clients all the time. Yeah. And then also that that person would also help you invest the assets. So if you are setting up any kind of a trust, they can help you with investing those trust assets as well. It's if assuming it's not just a house in a trust. No, it's probably worthwhile for us to remind clients that we don't we don't typically serve in that role as a trustee. Um, we can, and uh, there are there are cases where we'll have uh, our our company Altius Financial named in a state document, potentially in a trust as as the financial advisor. Uh, but we there's a conflict of interest between a financial advisor and a trustee, and so we typically won't do that. Um, you know, potentially, in front, you know, even for our own family members. Um, so I have had clients oftentimes ask me, well, okay, will you be my trustee or will you be my personal representative in my will? And 
uh, we usually or virtually always decline that because of the conflict of interest. Yeah, so while we will help our clients invest in their trust accounts, we're not likely going to be the one that helps them disperse those assets at death or, um, yeah. Well, we'll help, but we're yeah. not the, the we're not the, the person in charge of that. We help with that execution. So it's been good. Is there other things that we want to make sure uh, our listeners um, think about with regard to estate planning, why you'd want to do it, how it would be done? I think we kind of covered a broad discussion of everything. If, if anyone has any specific questions, definitely reach out to us. Um, as a quick reminder, we are in week 17 of our 53 week challenge. So we're, we're really chugging along on the year. Um, we invite you guys all to follow, like, friend, subscribe to us on Instagram, Facebook, and on this podcast, Capitalize Your Fridays. This week, our challenge was to revisit your taxes. So last week we told you guys, hey, it's tax day, make sure you get your taxes done. Um, but now let's kind of take a step back and look at what was the outcome of those taxes? Did you save like you wanted to? Did you maybe pay a little bit more than you had intended to? Should we look at adjusting your strategy so you're maybe opening and funding an IRA account, increasing retirement contributions, possibly donating to charity? I think now is a great time to say, okay, we're four months into the year. Let's, let's not get to next April and try to close it up with, let's make sure that we've, we've got things proactive heading into this tax year as well. Just as a reminder, all of our platforms are saved as Altius Financial. It's typed as one word. And so we hope you guys are following along with us, doing our um, 53 week challenge, listening to all of our podcast episodes and reach out if you have any kinds of questions on financial planning, investing, estate planning, we are here to be a resource for everyone. So Michael at Altius Financial or Taylor at Altius Financial, www.altiusfinancial. Sorry, that was a mouthful, but I hope you guys are enjoying all this and happy Friday. I hope you guys all capitalize on this weekend. Absolutely. Enjoy the weekend and we'll be looking forward to talking to you soon. Thanks. Thanks.